Good morning. Good morning. Do we have an awesome, an awesome worship team or what? I love, I love listening to them. I, I, Brandon asked me if there was anything he needed me to, he needed to do for me to transition, and I said, just y'all's beautiful voices. They're amazing. Good morning. My name is Tim Parker, and I am one of the men's ministry leaders here at TBA. And I am excited to have the chance to share God's Word and a little bit of my heart with you this morning. Before I get started, I have some, I have some exciting news to pass about. You remember we talked about the October men's Honduras trip? You all remember that? Do you know how many men we ended up with? You know how many, how many men we ended up with? We ended up with 22 men signing up to go to Honduras. 22 men. 22 men stepped up and said yes to God's call to travel to Honduras and be a part of the start of men's ministry in El Zapote and the surrounding community. If you wanted to go and couldn't make it this go-around, guys, the church has another trip going in February. And I'm sure that this will not be the last men's ministry trip that we have. So don't despair. There will be other chances for you to go. We have an all-star team going, an all-star team going. They look, the team looks amazing. It does. It looks like an all-star baseball team. We're missing some of our all-star players that weren't able to travel this time, but we do have a team that's going that's, that looks awesome. I want to welcome everybody as we continue in our summer series called James Polluted. Over the last several weeks... This might be a good idea. Over the last several weeks, we have been walking through James, and I don't know about you, but I thought I was going to have to ask the pastors if the AC was broken in here because it has gotten downright hot. Anyone else felt a little uncomfortable, a little fidgety, a little convicted? Does God have your attention yet? Quick recap. We've had several speakers talk to you about what the book of James is and what it should be in your life. <laughs> we, heard, we first heard from rap battle superstar Dave Shive. <laughs> this guy is a lyrical genius. This week at youth camp, he was spinning rhymes like a spider spins webs. It was amazing. But when Dave was sharing wisdom about James, he talked about how James is the best book of the Bible to study when we are trying to determine if our faith is real or fake. He also talked about how God expects us to respond to trials and that we should test our faith. Next, my very good friend and brother, Coach Mikey Littlejohn, talked about faith and deeds. And he left us with this. If your faith is dead on the outside, there's a good chance that it's dead on the inside. If your faith is dead on the outside, there's a good chance that your faith is dead on the inside. So what does that mean? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, but you are not living a life of faith that is obvious for others to see, you might want to do a thorough self-assessment. Or, in the words of the great, theologian, the great theologian Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. 
Mikey told us to be available and to be obedient. Next came world traveler and hog hunter extraordinaire, our very own redneck pastor, Brian Legg. Brian shared with us that we need to guard our tongues, not only our words, but the intent behind them. Speak the truth in love. How have you done with that? How has your language changed? Has your ability to talk to someone about something difficult been done with the right intent? Have you had to make the decision to speak the truth in love? Next up, our very own rock star, Brian Stivey Stiverson, asked us, Have you been deceived? Have you allowed the world to direct your path? Have you allowed Satan to fool you into thinking that you are following the Prince of Peace when you are truly following the Prince of this world? Brian said we should ask ourselves, which tree are we eating from? How are we being fed? Are we eating from the tree of life, Jesus Christ? Or are we settling for a dangerous substitute that comes of this world? Then last week, Brian Legg talked about the danger of boasting about our prowess and ability, planning our life without ever asking to see if our plans fit into the good and perfect plan of God. He left us with a powerful verse that probably threw a lot of people for a tailspin. It is sin to know what you should do and then not do it. It is sin to know what you should do and then not do it. Let me ask you this. Is this the way it went down in your head? Wait a minute. I, did, I just got started crossing things off of my list that I shouldn't do. Now we have things that we should do, and if we don't, it's sin. If we look back over the years, we've been told a lot of things that God says we should do. But my bet is we don't do them as often as we should. Or if we do, it's definitely not done with the right heart. We've gotten pretty good at justification or bending Scripture to fit our need. Let's just visit some of those sermons on things that God says we should do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Are you doing that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's one that we love to justify, to tithe, but also that we must do so with a joyful heart, not out of guilt or reluctantly. Pray for one another. And this one should make you cringe at how often we avoid doing this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Was that a wake-up call for you or did you just shrug it off? When Brian asked you to reflect on the last few weeks and how your, left, and how your life compares, did you? Did you decide that you needed to make some changes or did you just look around the room to see who Brian might have been talking to? Does God have your attention? Does God have your attention? Today, we're going to be in James 5, 1 through 6. If you want to go to your Bible or your electronic device, uh, our first look at the Scripture is going to be out of the NIV. Verse 1. 
Warning to rich oppressor, oppressors. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one, the one who was not opposing you. That was it's a strong. It's a strong thing that James is saying here. And that's out of the NIV. I also want to look at it out of the the message. You have that turned there, but I'm going to pull it up here for you. And a final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some some lessons in lament. You'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt, and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth. What you are piling up is judgment. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you've used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up. But all you have to show for it is a fatter-than-usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder Perfectly good persons who stand there and take it. Now, when I, when I read this to Joni, as I was reading uh, my sermon to Joni, she says, that's terrible. How did you end up with this scripture? She was right. Sounds pretty terrible. James isn't even offering them much of a chance of changing it. James is fired up. I think Mikey called James a straight shooter. And James just unloaded with both barrels. Let me ask you this. Have you ever fired a double-barrel shotgun? Have you ever fired a double-barrel shotgun that both barrels went off at the same time? If you haven't, find my son Caleb and and, and ask him how quickly it gets your attention. James is not holding back here. He wants this to be perfectly clear on the biblical stance of materialism and living a a life of self-entitlement. But more than anything, he wants to let them know their fate if they continue to sway God's children into believing that worldly things is where their hope lies. Do I believe that James is saying that if you have money, there is no chance for you to enter the kingdom of heaven? No. No. We've all been given the ability to make money in order to live and use those resources to further the kingdom of God. I believe that he means if you are using the money you have only to build your kingdom and not God's, then you're in trouble. I, don't want, I want to point something out here. James is strongly criticizing non-believers here. He's changed who he is talking to. He is no longer talking to believers He is casting his wrath on the non-believer. If you notice, he does not use his typical address to Christians 
as he starts this section. Remember, this is how he begins everything before this. James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This is how he begins James 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. James 3, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall have received, shall, we shall receive a stricter judgment. James 4, do not believe evil of one another, brethren. What he says in James 5 is this. Now listen, you rich people. Now don't kick back. Don't breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, got a Sunday to relax. Tim's message is for the non-believer. No, not true. You don't get off that easy. Although James is warning the non-believer to quit tempting God's children with the things of this world, quit deceiving Christians into thinking that it is better to live for the treasures of today than it is to store our treasures in heaven to quit fooling people into thinking that it's okay to claim responsibility for the things they have done and accomplished instead of relying on God's power. Stop deceiving people by telling them that their deeds are enough instead of telling them to embrace the gift that was hung on the cross for all that would accept it. A saving faith in Jesus Christ. And lastly, to stop telling people to trust the world and trying to guide them in their decisions when they should be trusting the guidance and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Why is James addressing non-believers about wealth and the misuse of it? Well, in that time, it would have been rare for a Christian to have wealth. The lifestyle of the non-believer was creating a war in the hearts of men and women and pulling people away from God when they saw the things that the rich were able to afford and the way that they lived. A war that still wages today. How often do we get tied up in what we want? Let me ask you a, a different question. How often do we get tied up in what we don't have? We are never happy with our place in life. When do you think we will be happy with God's plan for us? Do you struggle with it? Do you throw away what God would have for you and replace it with what you think is a better plan? James 5, 1 through 6, talks about wealth and the poor use of it. How about your time? You know, I see other misuses that you can plug in here. How about your time spent serving? Do you serve to glorify God or yourself? Whose attention are you trying to get? Do you read the Bible and pray to check it off the list? Or are you studying and praying with the intent of growing closer to God? God does not want to be your check mark. God does not want to be your check mark. Do you remember the warning Brian Legg talked about? It is sin to know what you should do and then not do it. Why do we continue to try to do things in our own power and for our own glory? Does God 
have your attention. James has been talking about the outward expression of the internal change that happens when you give your life to Christ. If you have truly made the decision, then it should be clearly evident in the choices you make and the way you live your life. If you haven't known me for very long, then you have not seen the changes that have happened in my life since I gave my life to Christ. But I can tell you that God has caused my life to change dramatically. When you get time, ask Joni. She's much happier with me now. At least I hope whenever you ask her, that story doesn't change. That she doesn't give you a different answer than that. You know, I tried to think of, some, of something visual that you could look at, if you haven't known me for, for, for very long. I tried to think of something visual that you could look at that showed an obvious change on the outside once you had made an inward decision. And although this is not the change that we're talking about, it is a picture of change for me. About 10 years ago, Joni and I had the opportunity to travel to Spain, uh, which was amazing. We got to go to uh, Marbella, Spain. We were in um, Gibraltar. We uh, had the chance to go across uh, the Straits of Gibraltar and go to Morocco. And, uh, and while we were there, we, uh, we had the opportunity to, I had the opportunity, I don't remember if you had the opportunity or not. She says no. To ride on the back of a camel. So, of course, we took pictures of that and uh, the sights, and, and it was amazing. And whenever we got back and we had the prints, uh, uh, when we had the, the pictures printed up, I sat down and I got through, started going through them, and I got to the one of me on the back of the camel. And I thought, my gosh, how, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? I'd, I'd never thought of me being in this place. Let me, let me just pull that picture up for you. This is a picture of me about 10 years ago on the back of that camel. <laughs> Eric's saying, no way. That was a, that was a, a life-changing look whenever I looked at that picture. It was, uh, you know, there's me. Uh, standing on the wharf. I wasn't sure if Joni wanted to be seen, so I cut her out of the picture. <laughs> lastly, that's me and Bryce. But I made, a ch I, I made a decision at that point to change my life. I made a decision about at that point to to change how I looked, to change my health. I'd gone to the doctor, and the doctor had told me that the way your triglycerides are, if I pull your blood right now, it should look like milk, which only tells me I should be dead. I decided at that point to change my life and change everything in my life. Now, you might ask, how does this fit? Well, an internal change of my heart and a decision to change my life was outwardly apparent. It was a complete life change, one that has had lasting effects. Let's change gears for just a little bit. You've been receiving the Word of God from the book of James for the last few weeks. He is, has it been impactful? Has it been informative? 
Have any of your thoughts on faith and deeds changed? Is your head reeling from it all? If you'd like to take that, if you'd like to stop that tailspin, you have to do something with the knowledge that you gain. I think in my case, when I first decided to ask Jesus into my life, I began to make the move into what I like to call the head change. I did the praying, I did the reading, I said all the right things, all the things I knew you should say if you were a Christian. But as long as I kept that change in my head, all I became was a cheap imposter of the man that God wanted me to be. And being what the world had said a Christian should look like. I was checking boxes every day. Pray. Check. Bible. Check. Judge other people. Check. Still feeling empty. Check. I know this is going to sound crazy. And there were a lot of things in play here. I'm sure the biggest being the prayers of my wife. I took what I knew Jesus, I took what I knew of Jesus in my head, and I asked him to live here. You can't leave it in your head, guys. You can't leave it in your head. You have to take, you have to take it from your head, and you have to move it to your heart. You can read as many books as you want. You can make your head spin listening to sermons till you can't see straight. But until you take all of that knowledge and store it in your heart, it will only be knowledge. The heart is where true change and inflammation takes place. Our minds can be changed, and sometimes pretty easily. It is a rare thing to see something change that comes from the heart. Once you have given Jesus your heart, once you store the Word of God in your heart, once you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and from your heart, then and only then does true change start to happen in your life. Do you want to change your lives for Jesus? Do you want to change your lives for Jesus? Then let Jesus change your heart. I can tell you from experience there was change in my life once I allowed Jesus to change my heart. Don't get me wrong. I'm still a broken man living in a broken world, loving a broken wife and broken kids, serving at a broken church. But Jesus fills all of those broken places in my life. Think back to my camel picture. Think back to my camel picture. If you took a picture the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and compared it to you today, would it look different? Would it look different? If the answer is no, then maybe you need to make that move from head change to a change in your heart. Spiritual growth only happens when a heart is changed. 
Does God have your attention? Are you ready for spiritual growth? I have talked with several people who, who say they've been convicted by the sermons. Are you one of those people? Are you ready for spiritual growth? If you said yes, I want Jesus to change my heart, then yes, you are ready for spiritual growth. There are three key elements to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, this is a lifetime pursuit. But I wanted to give you some direction on what you need to focus on in order to continue to grow spiritually and to know God more intimately. Knowledge of the Word. Knowledge of the Word. Don't just read the Bible. Study it. It was written just for you. Can you believe that? It was written with you at the forefront of the author's mind. Study what God is saying to you. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Perspective. Perspective. Know that God's perspective is the way everything should be viewed. And that we should direct our whole life to knowing Him more. And trusting that His plan or His perspective on our life is perfect. And then we have convictions. Your convictions include your values, your commitments, and your motivations. What are your values, your commitments, and your motivations? The late professor Howard G. Hendricks from the Dallas Theological Seminary said this about convictions. A belief is something you will argue about. A conviction is something you will die for. A conviction is something you will die for. Are you willing to die for your convictions? Are you willing to die for your convictions? Our Lord and Savior did, and he died to rescue us all. Do you have Jesus in your heart? If you do, then yours and other people's lives are about to change. Band, if you could please come up. Pastors, if you wouldn't mind to come up as well. I've been asking you this question, does God have your attention? Does God have your attention? I think what I'd like to, to change that to is, does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? If you decided that today you would like to give your life to Jesus and you would like to have someone pray with you, please come down and see one of the pastors. If you've never had that heart change and you've decided to do that today and you want to know what's next, please come see me or Joni or one of the pastors and let us talk to you about what that looks like. There is only real change when you have a heart change. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we have had to come together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to grow closer to you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for changed hearts. We pray for changed hearts that change lives. We love you, God. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. We thank you for this church family that we have. And we thank you for what you are doing in the lives of TBA and the lives around us, Father. We thank you for that. Father, keep us safe. Change our hearts, Father. We love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' powerful and precious name we pray. Amen.